Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Harthus and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the July 11th broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. Be sure to share tonight's program. We'll be breaking down the infamous international slavers known as the GEO Group, Roots and Fruits, from its dark inception by a racist white supremacist in the FBI to its global presence as a subsidiary of one of the largest exploitation, suffering, and warfare-related corporations on Earth. 7-Eleven. Let's roll. On and near this day in history, July 11, 1656, Anne Austin and Mary Fisher, two English women, became the first Quakers to immigrate to the American colonies when the ship carrying them landed at Boston in Massachusetts Bay Colony. In October 1656, the Massachusetts colonial government enacted their first ban on Quakers, and in 1658, it ordered Quakers banished from the colony under penalty of death. Quakers found solace in Rhode Island and other colonies, and Massachusetts. Anti-Quaker laws were later repealed. The Quakers were instrumental in fighting slavery and also in creating the system of extended solitary confinement that we know now, also seen as torture. Also on this day in 1767, John Quincy Adams, son of the second U.S. President John Adams, is born in Braintree, Massachusetts. While in the U.S. House of Representatives, he argued the Amistad slave ship case in the Supreme Court. His eloquent argument for returning the ship's enslaved cargo of Africans to Africa cemented his reputation as an abolitionist. In 2014, we here at New Abolitionist Radio were honored to announce the first person to run for Congress on an abolitionist platform since John Quincy Adams in 1848. That was the Reverend Moja Ajabu of Indiana. 20 years later, on July 13, 1787, the Northwest Ordinance, a precursor to the 13th Amendment, was adopted by Congress and allegedly ended slavery in the Southwest Territories, stating in Article 6, 
there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in the said territory, otherwise than in the punishment of crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, provided always that any person escaping into the same from whom labor or service is lawfully claimed in any of the original states, such fugitives may be lawfully reclaimed and conveyed to the person claiming his or her labor or service as aforesaid. We all remember how that sounds, right? A nationwide prison slave labor work strike is being called for on August 21st this year through September 9th. If you know somebody on the inside, tell them what's going on. The people on the inside are fighting for their freedom. Also, and uh, direct news is the Right to Vote campaign is going on and they need your support. It's a national campaign being initiated by those people currently confined in the United States. And the campaign grew out of the August 21st national prison strike demands. Specifically, point 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. Our abolitionist in profile tonight, due to his birthday, is John Quincy Adams, July 11, 1767, till February 23, 1848, President, abolitionist, and Amistad Council. A rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Brooklyn's Roshan Hargrave, 44, a man who was put away for 24 years by shady ex-New York Police Department detective Louis Scarcella. He was released from prison after serving more than two decades behind bars. As always, we have a little time and a lot of information. So be sure to follow the information we provide on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio so you can see it in real time and share it as we talk about the stories. Also, remember to support our efforts by joining us as a member at community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. You'll find the links for today's program on our abolitionist page. If you have a question or a comment, you can call us at 704-802-5056. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradionetwork. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Greetings to you, Max. How are you this evening? 7-Eleven, man. Maybe we might hit a home run here tonight, you know? Yeah, I do think, though, the um, information that you have planned for tonight on the GO group, nothing happens, it, it will demonstrate, nothing happens in a vacuum. And while all of these roundups of these migrants slash refugees, um, this, this was foreseeable if you were paying attention to the industries that lobby uh, congressmen, state representatives, uh, lobby the presidents, and what have you, you would have seen this coming, especially as it pertains to the GEO group. So um, I'm just, you know, uh, excited again, you know, just to prove the worth of the research that has been ongoing here for the past six years. Amen to that, Scotty. Uh, you and I have been witnesses, and because we were focused on modern-day slavery, private prisons were automatically part of the things that we focus on specifically, and the GEO group has been under our radar since day one. Uh, uh, we really have focused on, on their, uh, what they're about, where they started at. Uh, we've listened, as Scotty said before, to their quarterly earning reports. <laughs> I mean, I don't know nobody else that does that, but we listened to their quarterly earning reports and we shared those reports with others. We disseminated what they was talking about. And today, 
after looking back at it, you know, some years, I can say, Scotty, that you could literally hear them predicting what we have today then during those uh, quarterly earning reports. I don't know if predict is the correct word to use. I think plan would be a better word. What they were planning. I agree. You could hear their plans, their long-term plans, which lead to where they're at today. And uh, their roots are rotten. I mean, like, totally started the worst of ways for the worst of reasons by the worst of people. So it's no surprise that if the fruit is rotten, so is, I mean, that if the roots are rotten, so is the fruit. And, and I also think it's important to point out that we are nonpartisan people. I mean, you wouldn't even, you, when we first started, you described yourself as a, a anarchist. Uh, who didn't yes. participate in the political process whatsoever. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, uh, since then, we have been engaging politicians and have had a number of politicians that we have engaged and interviewed over the years who have run on abolitionist platforms. And you mentioned Reverend yes. Omaju uh, being one of the first, you know. And and so, um, you know, it's just very important that we be engaged in the system because if we don't, it's going to engage us in ways that uh, we don't like, you know. So, again, that's just very important work and a lot of research, and and you do a lot of it, man. You know, I got a lot of duties with uh, Black Talk Media Project and running the platform, and you do most of the planning uh, for the programs, and I'm just pretty much, you know, helping to facilitate that. But you have put in a tremendous work. We have a tremendous archive. And, you know, it's just invaluable, uh, you know, that uh, people just pay attention, man, to what's going on. Yes, Scotty. Someday people are going to want to know what happened and what really happened. And they're going to need to to see and hear for themselves. And New Abolitionist Radio's archives is probably going to be one of the, if not the largest depository of such information on the planet. So, yeah, indeed, man. Um, I guess I could start out with the, the thing that, you know, we said we were going to do today, which is expose the GEO group. Uh, back in June 19, 2018, about a month ago, I, I did uh, a big thing about the GEO group, showing where they started at, what they're involved with. I wouldn't call it really any kind of a study. It was a lot of just copying and pasting, writing some stuff of my own to add to it, but mostly copying and pasting from different sources of information to put it all together just to give people a kind of a overall view of who we were dealing with um i'll put that uh on new abolitionist radio that note and it starts like this the geo group incorporated geo is a florida-based company specialized in privatized corrections detention and mental health treatment it maintains facilities in north america australia south africa and the united kingdom In 2015, the GEO Group's federal contracts with the United States government for operating prisons generated about 45% of its revenues. That's half its revenues just from the United States. GEO Group facilities include prisons of all three security levels, immigration detention centers, minimum security detention centers, and mental health and residential treatment facilities. It owns numerous facilities and in other cases, operates state or federal facilities under contract. Wackenhut Corrections Corporation, WCC, was formed 
as a division of the Wackenhut Corporation, which is now a subsidiary of G4S Secure Solutions in 1984. It was incorporated as a Wackenhut subsidiary in 1988. In July 1944, WCC became a separately traded public company. In 2003, WCC management raised funds to repurchase all common stock held by G4S, changing its name to the GEO Group. In 2005, the GEO Group acquired Correctional Services Corporation, CSC, for $62 million in cash and assumed $124 million of that company's debt. GEO also uh, sold CSC's Juvenile Services Division, they had a Juvenile Service Division, in 2005 to James Slattery. And James Slattery, I might add, right now is under charges uh, for corruption and uh, how he built people out of $1.8 billion. In any case, CSC's former CEO for $3.75 million, Slattery renamed this business as Slattery's Youth Services International. On August 12, 2010, the GEO Group acquired Cornell Companies, formerly Cornell Corrections, for $730 million in stocks and cash. As you can see, the GEO Group was making a, a, a very large effort to purchase all of its competitors to become a global uh, dominant corporation in its field, which is what it did. GEO announced the closing of its $360 million cash purchase of community education centers on April 4, 2017. And as longtime listeners know, uh, I visited those facilities and had a conversation with the CEO there. CEC owned and or managed more than 12,000 beds in the U.S. This included over 7,000 community reentry beds. It provided in-prison treatment services at over 30 government-operated facilities. At the fiscal year end, December 31st, 2012, GEO managed 96 facilities worldwide, totaling approximately 73,000 beds, including 65,949 active beds and 6,000 idle beds. The company had an average facility occupancy rate of 95.7% for 2012. Now, I mentioned that the GEO Group at one point, or rather Wackenhut's Corrections Corporation prior to 2003 was purchased by G4S, and they still have a relationship because right now, the GEO Group is a wholly owned subsidiary. G4S, which you might not know, is one of the largest corporations in the entire world. And, uh, in 2013, on August 30th, G4S achieved specific top employer certifications in Botswana, Cameroon, Cote d'Ivory, DRC, Kenya, Malawi, Morocco, uh, Mozambique, Nigeria, South Africa, and Zambia. The world's 10 largest employers from Fortune.com in 2014 listed G4S as number three in the world, right behind Walmart. They employ 618,000 people globally. They're based in the United Kingdom, their industry is security services, and their sales are $11.6 billion. Their market value is $6.3 billion, and the revenue per employee is about $18,000. G4S is the world's largest security company with a massive global footprint spanning 125 countries. The result of the 2000 merger 
of two security giants, Group 4 Falk and uh, Securicore, G4S is now the largest publicly traded employer in Europe and boasts a strong and consistent track record performance. It's a leading provider of security solutions, offering a combination of personnel, project management, risk management, and technological solutions to commercial and government organizations, which account for 75% of its revenue. Demand for its services remained strong in 2013, particularly in the emerging markets where revenue rose by 16%. G4S is the largest private employer in the entire continent of Africa, with 110,000 employees in over 29 countries across the entire continent. Now, I'm going to give Scotty a chance to get in here too, but after this, but I just want to make a statement about G4S. I'll repeat, they're the largest private employer across the entire continent of Africa. What they provide is prisons and security and also mercenaries. They literally have a standing army of 8,000 men that they employ all across the world doing what governments won't or can't do. Scotty? Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add there. The information is what it what it is and it's been out there for quite some time and unfortunately man one of my old army buddies works for uh g4s and i'm gonna have to have a conversation uh with him about that um but one of the things though max that i want to to point out is that we're talking about global slavery in human trafficking it's no other way to describe it it's not just happening here nationally okay in the united states this is maybe the cradle of it um but these the are beginning inter- of it right here. yeah yep. these are international companies and what have you and this is why it is important that we be a part of a global human rights struggle um malcolm x talked about you know that um particularly black people in the united states have been brainwashed not to identify with the non-white people of the world who are being oppressed. But all of this is interconnected. And all of this money that they're raking in, uh, I couldn't find the article. Um, I would have had to really go uh, digging on Twitter to find when uh, Genevieve Jones-Wright, who ran for DA, I think that was San Diego County in uh, California, and she lost, but she had put a call out to her opponent who was a Republican. I can't remember her name. I was just reading it earlier today. But to to uh, stop taking private prison corporate uh, lobbyist money. And, of course, you know, she did not. And that uh, GEO group made a sizable donation to the Republican Party for that county, which was used to elect this DA. So what am I trying to say? is when they're rounding up these refugees, and again, I've done programs on how the United States destabilized their countries and do and does have a moral obligation uh, to these people whose countries they destroyed through their foreign, foreign policies, that money that GEO, the GEO Group and other private prison enslavers are making off of those people will be used to elect more pro-slavery district attorneys will be used to write up legislation as they've done in the past and get um, politicians in their pockets to push that legislation 
through the states and also through the federal government. So, you know, again, um, I've heard that word in the past couple of years of um, intersectionality, and I don't think people really understand the intersectionality of private prison with modern slavery and, you know, the jailing and imprisonment of refugees all over the world. Not just here in the United States, but this is happening all over the world. Max? Yes, indeed it is. And as I said earlier, uh, regarding what you were mentioning, is that this was the beginning of it. We created this model. And now this model has been adopted all over the globe to the point where the uh, largest uh, employer on the entire continent of Africa is a freaking prison company, man. That's how big it's got. We've reported here on New Abolitionist Radio stories of some of the most brutal prisons on earth in places like Brazil that have suddenly become privatized with people, you know, earning money off the brutality that's happening in there. We reported that Turkey itself has done much like George Wackenhut, the founder of the GEO Group, did and decided to build over 160 prisons in the nation of Turkey in order to manage half a million dissidents. Dissidents. Man, sometimes words, man. Political prisoners. Yes. So, yeah, it's it's become a worldwide global thing. Uh, Slavery has reemerged across the globe. And much of the slave trade now is more of a digital thing when it comes to the resources. No, the the money is owned by uh, central banks and investment companies like the Vanguard Group and Pershing Group. Uh, That's where the money is going back and forth. The bodies don't necessarily come across the seas, but it's all the same system. It's the same company managing in Australia, managing it in South Africa, managing it in Haiti and all of these different places across the globe. And those... Uh, those uh, companies like the Geo Group are based right here in the United States. They're based specifically in Florida with an office for G4S also in the same city. Scotty? Yeah. Um, again, I was saying that this is a nonpartisan issue. I don't care what your political affiliation is. The only thing I care about is whether or not you are for or against modern-day slavery, and these slavers and their uh, accomplices exist on both sides of the aisle. You know, you just mentioned Florida. Um, What was the Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's now supposed to be part of the resistance and standing up for these refugee children being separated from their parents, has always represented the the, um, interests of geo group because it's based right down there where she is. So this is a nonpartisan issue. This isn't a political issue about what party stands for freedom and justice because they're both are for slavery. And the record just speaks for itself. You know, it took Hillary Clinton being confronted by a single activist on the on the red carpet behind a rope line about um you know, the money she's taking from the private prison, the Black Lives Matter group in Boston confronted her, got a meeting with her. And then she was like, oh, I'll end private prisons. Well, you know, your track record suggests that you can't be trusted. So, no, so you know, this is a beast that we're up against, Max. And, and I don't want to sound sick, uh, cynical or discourage anyone, but we got to recognize what we're up against. And we just have to keep pulling more people 
into the movement. And we got to use the correct language, man. We can't use the language of reformists. We have to use the language of ab abolitionists. Yes, we, we don't want to fix something like this. We want to get rid of it. It's got to go. It's a crime against humanity. Speaking of crime against humanity, somebody responsible for this big ball that's beginning to roll or has begun to roll. I've heard quotes recently uh, that we talked about on air last week, I believe, where they said that 20, uh, in the past 20 years of this nation history, more people have been incarcerated than in the entire total of its history, just in the past 20 years. A lot has happened since the 1990s, particularly with the birth of the GEO Group. And who started all of this whack and hut corrections corporation? What was he all about? Let's talk about the roots of this. The man who created the global corporate slaver company called the GEO Group was a self-appointed domestic spy who garnered the names of millions of anti-war and black empowerment activists who he called dissidents. He was also a racist white supremacist. George Wackenhut was known as a hardline right winger. He built up dossiers on Americans suspected of being communists or left-leaning subversives and sympathizers and sold the information to interested parties. Frank Donner claimed in his book of Age of Surveillance that the Wackenhut Corporation maintained and updated its files even after the McCarthy hysteria had ebbed, adding the names of anti-war protesters and civil rights demonstrators to its list of derogatory types. By 1965, Wackenhut was boasting to potential investors that the company maintained files on 2.5 million suspected dissidents, one in 46 American adults then living in 1966. After acquiring the private files of Carl Barslag, a former staff member of the House Un-American Activities Committee. Damn, they had a, a committee named the Un-American Activities Committee. Wackenhut could claim that with more than 4 million names, it had the largest privately held file on suspected dissidents in America. In 1975, after the United States Congress investigated companies that had private files, Wackenhut gave its files to the now defunct anti-communist Church League of America in Wheaton, Illinois. When he sold his company for $570 million in 2002, $776 million today, he owned more than 50% of its stock. Wackenhut died on December 31st on 2004 of heart failure at his home in Vero Beach, Florida at the age of 85. Uh, I'll point out that his son now runs the business. Russell Wackenhut. Scotty? Yeah, I actually put a wanted poster out years ago. I see that you uh, circulated that earlier today of George Zoli, and I think you described him right, you know, evil person, man, very evil. Well, we're talking about George Wackenhut here. He's the man who started it, the Geo Group. Oh, George he Zoli was? George the current CEO. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I don't really have any, anything to add, uh, but I will take this opportunity to relay a quick message before I forget, Max. One of our listeners, Kia, sent us some information, because um, we're talking about Earlier, I was mentioning the intersectionality of all these different industries and, and what have you as it, can, as it pertains to modern-day slavery and human trafficking. And she had mentioned to me, you know, like I've been put out information about the banks that underwrite 
of these very companies day-to-day operations and she asked me to mention that some of these finance companies like for example she said you know she was getting some hard floors finance and then found out that one of the uh, companies that was offering the finance to hard floors was Wells Fargo and so she wanted me to mention that you know that their reach is just man it's just a very tangled web man that these people weave but I don't have anything to add on the whacking hut well whacking hut was launched uh, in 1994 it's initial public offering. It was launched in tandem with the Clinton Omnibus crime bill. Uh, and that was the reason why this for-profit prison became a global giant because of the Clinton crime bill. I think, uh, based on my own research, that the Clintons had personal stock within the uh, Wackenhut Corporation when it was launched in 1994. Because we know that even all the way up until the 2016 elections, Hillary Clinton was still taking money, donations from these uh, for-profit private industries. As a matter of fact, that uh, four of her top bundlers, those are the people that go out and you know collect money for her camp- campaign, were actually prison lobbyists. <laughs> prison lobbyists working as your bundler. So anyway, let me read a, a part of an article that has uh, everything to do with this <clears throat> about what happened during that period in uh, 1994. And this comes from Dunwalk.com and it's titled the Clinton administration progressives for for-profit prisons. Now, this article I'll put on New Abolitionist Radio, and I'll also mention again what I've mentioned before when I've quoted this article. It's probably one of the most revealing pieces of information about the for-profit prison industry that you will read this decade. So here's the quote. Whether through subsidy, credit, and asset forfeiture kickbacks to state and local government or increased ta- uh, laws, Regulation and federal sentencing and imprisonment, the supremacy of the federal enforcement infrastructure, and the industry it feeds was to be a Clinton legacy. One of the first major initiatives by President Bill Clinton was the Omnibus Crime Bill, signed into law September 1994. This legislation implemented mandatory sentencing, offered authorized $10.5 billion to fund private prison construction, that mandated sentencing would help require. It loosened the rules on allowing federal asset forfeiture teams to keep and spend the money their operations made from seizing assets and provided federal monies for the local police. The legislation also provided a variety of pork for a Clinton administration vogue constituency, Community Development Corporation, CDCs, and the Community Development Financial Institutions, CDFIs, The CDCs and the CDFIs became instrumental during this period in putting a socially acceptable face on the increasing central control of local finance and shutting off equity capital to small businesses. The potential impact on the private prison industry was significant. With the bill only going through the House, former Attorney General Benjamin Civiletti joined the Board of Wackenhut Corrections I got to pause there to repeat that. Former Attorney General Benjamin Civiletti joined the Board of Wackenhut Corrections, which went public in July 1994 with an initial public offering of 2.2 million shares. By the end of 1998, just four short years later, Wackenhut stock market value had increased almost 10 
times. When I visited their website at that time, it offered a feature that flashed the number of beds they owned and managed. The number increased as I was watching it. The prison industry was growing that fast. However, the Clinton administration did not wait for the omnibus crime bill to build the federal enforcement infrastructure. Government-wide, agencies were encouraged to cash in on support in both executive branch and Congress for authorizations and programs, many justified under the umbrella of the war on drugs that allowed agency personnel to carry weapons, make arrests, and generate revenues from money makers such as civil money penalties and asset forfeitures and seizures. Indeed, federal uh, enforcement was moving towards a model that some would call for-profit faster than one could say Sheriff of Nottingham. And again, that quote comes from uh, Dylan Reed and Company, and it's titled The Clinton Administration Progressive For-Profit Prisons. Scotty? Again, there's a long documented history of the beginnings of this, and it can be traced to people who are still around today who I would love to see put on trial for human rights violations and what have you. But, you know, unfortunately, they won't be because slavery is legal. So, you know, we have to really be be cognizant of these things and we have to confront those. But one of the things that stood out to me, Max, is it's just like any other industry. You know, just like people talk about the Environmental Protection Agency and they've been in the news lately with, I think his name is Scott Pruitt, resigning. And, you know, they do the same thing, even at the Food and Drug Administration, former pharmaceutical company executives and what have you will end up working in those agencies in the government or if they leave uh, if they're starting government then they end up on the boards of these various industries and, and private prisons is no different so that really stood out to me when you mentioned a former attorney general you know uh, joining this board again they, they plan this out you know, they've been planning this for years and, and then it gets rolled out and then people are surprised because they're not paying attention. Like you say, the details, the, the devil is in the details. Yes, the devil is indeed in the details. And these details point directly to the Wackenhut Corrections Corporation and George Wackenhut, who was its founder, which has grown now to become the Geo Group, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of G4S, one of the largest private employers on the entire planet. I mean, it's a pretty nasty situation here. And I've got a, quite a few clippings and quotes and information for anybody that wants to see it. I could never put it all into this one uh, uh, podcast of New Abolitionist Radio. So please become a member. Go to our abolitionist planning page and if you're a research researcher there are jewels for you to uh, absorb right there so i want to read a couple of these uh lawsuits that are going on right now with the prison industry particularly the geo group wackenhut corrections corporation wcc was formed as a division of the wackenhut wackenhut corporation now a subsidiary of g4s secure solutions um in 1984, it was incorporated as a Wackenhut subsidiary. In 1988, uh, uh, what is it? In July 1994, WCC became a separately traded public company. In 2003, WCC managed 
to raise funds to purchase all the common stock held by G4S, changing its name to the GEO Group. In 2005, the GEO Group acquired correctionals. Oh, I read some of this to you already about how much money they spent. spent. I got a lot of information here. Forgive me, guys. Let me get on to this uh, one lawsuit in particular. Right now, we hear a lot of information about how children are being treated through the GEO-run facilities who have contracts with ICE. Well, here's a story that came out from NPR.org about a GEO-run facility called Walnut Grove. It was a juvenile detention facility. And on April 24th of 2012, a federal judge, Carlton Reeves, wrote that the youth prison has allowed a cesspool of unconstitutional and inhuman acts and conditions to germinate, the sum of which places the offenders at substantial ongoing risk. Walnut Grove, located in the hour's drive east of Jackson, is a 1,400-bed prison that housed inmates ages 13 to 22 who are minors convicted as adults. It is run by GEO Group of Big uh, uh, Florida, the nation's second largest for-profit prison corporation, which post posted a profit of $284 million in 2013. The Mississippi Department of Corrections pays GEO to manage the prison. I'll put that article for you guys to read on New Abolitionist Radio. Scotty, any comments? No, Max. We can move to the next item. Well, the next item actually is kind of a connected dots here. Remember, this is a juvenile detention facility that was being run in Mississippi. Judges called it a cesspool of constitutional violations and inhumane acts. Those are no light words. But what about it being in Mississippi? Well, where's there a dot to connect with that? And, Scotty, I know you know all about it already. And what I'm talking about is Christopher Epps, Christopher Epps the longest-running uh, uh Longest serving. I guess direct, longest serving director of the prison systems in Mississippi was recently, as of in the last couple of years, uh, charged with corruption for using the Mississippi prison system as a for-profit uh, industry that he constantly got all kinds of kickbacks and uh, right. bribes from. Right. I mean, the guy was buying chateaus on the beach and whatnot from the money that he was getting from these uh, well, prison Max, companies. And, I remember when I first saw it on the uh, Rachel Maddow show, she did a wonderful job of breaking down this whole thing of what was going on in Mississippi. They were showing how he went from one bank to the next bank to the next bank. I think it was a total of like 12 banks in the matter of an hour, depositing $9,999 in each bank. So he could, you know, stay under the radar. Of the I don't IRS. see how you could stay under the radar with that much money. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Let and they still this, haven't resolved though. that issue. There is still an investigation going on when they determined that the entire prison system system in the state of Mississippi was corrupt. Let, let me say this. Christopher Epps is a black man. And this is why I've tried to stress that the new abolitionist movement is multi ethnic. It we cannot draw our lines along color lines cause a slave catcher is a slave catcher no matter his skin color, no matter her religion, no matter her national origin, no matter whatever. A slaver is as a slaver does, okay? And I'm just glad that, you know, we have seen so many people from different backgrounds who have become part of this new abolitionist movement 
And it's just important to, to recognize that this affects, again, this is global. This affects people all over the planet. That's why there's a burgeoning abolitionist movement in Africa going back to what Max was sharing about G4S being the largest employer in Africa. Look, we, we, we should have natural allies all over the planet when it comes to modern-day slavery and human trafficking, but it just, as a black man, it just really disgusts me, man, when I come across other black people who you would think would know better given the shared history here in the United States of slavery and human trafficking, and they just don't have any problem with profiting off of the enslavement of primarily black people followed by brown people, followed by indigenous people and what have you. So I just wanted to add that, Max. We we have we should have natural allies all over the world. Either you're for or you're against slavery. Ain't no in between. You're absolutely right, Scotty. <clears throat> but you know, um they have their proxies that work within our system, of course. Uh we they have been there since we've been here. Since the beginning of this nation there has always uh never been a blanket statement of all this people or all that people because there's always been some who sell out or as yeah, the G- old saying Geo goes group. not all skin folk is kinfolk yeah geo group has a multicultural or multi-ethnic board member you know because we have put out information showing all their faces and then these these black men because it was two black men that was on geo groups and then they have these other companies they part of and then they're looked at as respectable people in the black community oh these are black entrepreneurs and and very successful and and look what they're part of absolutely and you know very often it's because our livelihoods are tied into the prison industry one way or another if people are not trying to exploit it to their own benefit Usually it's just it's paying somehow for their bread every day, for their food, for their rent. Uh, It's a huge job industry that includes millions of careers and professions and workers involved in this system of slavery. Sometimes it's even deeper than that. For instance, uh, a Native American tribe has an $800 million contract to run ICE detention centers. are that you aware is of that? so disgusting when I saw that story. Man. $800 million. The National Congress of American Indians is called Trump's immigration policies simply immoral. But one member group, though, is taking a very different approach. The Port Isabel Detention Center in Los Fresno, Texas, is currently holding many of the parents who have been separated from the kids. But while PIDC is owned by ICE, its guards are provided by a subsidiary of Atna Incorporated, a portfolio of businesses operated by the Atna, a federally recognized Alaskan Native people. So you got Alaskan Natives making $800 million to run a detention center by ICE in Texas. Yeah, so I'm not surprised, though, because I, through BTR News, have interviewed, um, you know, uh, um, American Indian activists over the years, you know, uh, shout out to Leonard Peltier, political prisoner and um, who was with AIM, uh, the American Indian movement. But I have interviewed activists over the years who have talked about their own proxies among them who would, who would, who would uh, sell out 
their own ancestors' uh, graves and burial grounds to put a casino on it. So I tell you, man, uh, corruption is corruption, man. Um, but we do got a caller, Max. Uh, you yes. want to take a call? Sure, sir. Yeah, we got uh, let's we got a uh, conversation. We got Jenna on the line. Thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. By the way, if you have a question or comment, give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit star star. Uh, on, and we'll see you on the board and we'll bring you in. Just watch your background noise. Jenna, New Abolitionist Green. Comrade, what's, what's on your mind tonight? Greetings, greetings. How are you, Scotty? Uh, how are you, Max? Uh, loving the Peace, conversation. <clears throat> likewise, likewise. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, I want to ask. But uh, I want to ask a, a few questions, and uh, I'm not going to take too much of your time. I may uh, chime back in uh, throughout the program. But uh, my first question is: is that you made a comment, and it was. Uh, it was you, Max, and you made the comment that, that we are participating by way of uh, just living in today's yes. society. Our livelihood is uh, is participating within these uh, private prisons. I know that some people do not want to, uh, and before I even make this statement, I have never uh, claimed to be an abolitionist. I understand why I should but I do have selfish reasons as far as my children and trying to stay out of slavery myself. I do as much as I can by way of uh, teaching other people about uh, misnomers in history. Uh, for instance, one of the things that Brother Scotty always repeats and that he should continue to always repeat, the 13th Amendment never abolished slavery. But at, at work, I was uh, they, held, they hold, uh, every month they hold like a birthday party while at the uh, plantation where I work at. And while we was in there, you know, they, they talk about miscellaneous things and what have you. And one of the ways that I decided that I was going to start my small footprint in this uh, abolitionist work is that I wanted to change my 401k. Because what I, what I find out is that out of uh, 400 companies that your 401k is investing in, you know, 90% of them are uh, private prison related. Like you said, whether it could be just uh, sending clothes to the prison or clothes that are made from the prison, uh, phone calls, uh, call centers that are being redirected to the prisons, uh, all of these type of things. So when we start, uh, when we start asking these questions, always remember that you are going to get a side eye especially us being uh, melanated men and women, being black people, you're always going to get the side eye no matter what you're talking about. And if you show any substance within your thoughts, you're going to be looked at twice. <clears throat> Excuse me. So these are things to uh, pay attention to, not to be uh, afraid to ask these questions but also to assert yourself so nobody dismisses you as if uh, he just misspoke right then. He don't know what he's talking about. Or she just misspoke and she don't know what she's talking about. There's an assertiveness that you two brothers have on the air and so
some of the uh, videos that I, I've seen where y'all have ventured out doing your work and have documented it for, for us to see. These are the same type of uh, assertive moves that I believe that we should be taking on a day-to-day basis. I'm not sure if y'all uh, agree with me, but uh, thank thank you for your time and uh, put me on mute if you will. That way, if I have another question, I'll be able to let you know. Thank you again for your time. I certainly appreciate you, brother. Uh, indeed, and you are right. And I've mentioned it before, you know, we call ourselves abolitionists, but during the abolitionist movement, there were different groups. You had your gradualists, uh, who are like our abolitionists in profile tonight, uh, John Quincy Adams. And then you had your immediatists, who were people like, we need to burn it down right now. It's got to end. And I'm talking about people like Lloyd William Garrison, you know, who said we need to secede because you can't negotiate with slavers. They're the worst of the worst. And anything they tell you is going to be a lie. They are human kidnappers. And I tend to feel that way as well. But I also think that making the moves that you mentioned, like uh, changing your 401k is something solid that you personally can do and everybody else who is involved with uh, retirement programs can do as well. We've talked about this before, uh, about the divestment movements that everyone can do. For instance, the teachers' union, uh, as reported on New Abolitionist Radio, has nearly $100 million invested in the construction of for-profit private prisons. Now, how are teachers, you know, everybody think teachers, you might think a little old lady out somewhere, but how are these teachers uh, invested in what would certainly be called a conflict of interest? And it's very simple. There are investment uh, groups like the uh, Persian group and also like the Vanguard group, which takes that money which is your 401k and invests it for you. And what they invest in, in addition to the other things, are private prisons. So that's how you as a teacher are paying for the enslavement of your own children that you're teaching, banking on the fact that some of them will go to prison so you'll have your retirement money. The same thing applies to all kinds of government employees. If you're a government employee and you have this money, your pension is sitting there waiting, that pension is being invested in for-profit private prisons. And that's just part of the way that we're involved. Some are more directly. A lot of these cities, counties, and even states depend on their prison system for their livelihood. Here in South Carolina, we have over 24 facilities for adults, and they employ over 7,000 people. Without that industry, the entire state will fall apart, I suspect. But on smaller levels in counties, they, uh, that's all the money they make. For instance, Ferguson. That, remember, they went from $1 million to $3 million by issuing out more and more tickets to criminalize people. So, yeah, thank you again, brother. And you, that is a good idea, and it's something everybody can do. I applaud you for and, doing that. And I just want to stress, though, the point that he made about being assertive. I'll frame it another way. Know what you know with conviction, and when you conveying it to other people, say say it with authority. The research has been done. The research is available for all, and it is very important that when we speak on these issues, that we speak with the confidence that we know what we're talking about, because it will be some people who will try to sow seeds of doubts, not in your mind, but in the mind of minds of other people who may be hearing the conversation and you know I have to I have I have to commend you Jenna for bringing it up at your workplace 
you know, um, on Black Talk Radio Network, one of the um, radio stations called The Context of White Supremacy, on Thursday nights, they do workplace racism. So I have to commend you for being bold enough to bring it up on the job. Um, some people may not be receptive uh, to that, but other you never know until, you know, you try it. And I also want to point out that even students have led the way in these divestment campaigns with uh, Columbia University students getting their, um, getting that institution to divest from prisons. Um, what was the other one in California, Max? The University of Southern California, as well as the University of Alabama, both had divestment programs that uh, got, I think, collectively, they must have got nearly $100 million diverted from the prison industry, which was invested by the universities. Right. And the other thing you can do is, again, to take your money out of these banks that's also invested. You know, Wells Fargo, man, I just really hate them. Uh, for some reason, not, I, I just really pick on them. But there's about six major banks, and we've circulated information. I just recirculated that information uh, last week. Six banks who are underwriting their day-to-day operations and just taking your money out of those banks and putting it in a credit union or 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 a non, you know, um, a bank that's not investing in those type of industries. So. You know, there's just a number of things that that we should do and can do. You know, you mentioned, Scotty, that people tend to look at you side eyes. And I understand that perspective, but I have long been since changed over to the person that's giving the side eyes. When people start talking about slavery in the past tense, I'm just brutal about it, man. You know what I mean? I will nip that in the bud so quick, and I don't care who it is. Yeah, I do that on Uh, social media when I keep hearing people using past tense language. Wait a minute. Here's here's the 13th Amendment. I keep that image handy, you know, and I'll post that image. Where in this document in the 13th Amendment in the U.S. Constitution does it say it abolished slavery? Okay? Exactly. So um, I think Jenna wants to add some more. Go ahead, Jenna. Yes, both both of you were making great points, uh, especially about the work. Uh, when we when we talking about it at work, I just want to make this clarification: you don't have to do it in front of everybody. You know, you you could go to the uh, as soon as you hear a couple of because what normally happens. Let me, I got to lay the picture first if I have enough time. When you when we first go in there, you know they they congratulate you on your birthday and what have you, and then they run down some of the plans for the company, who they're investing with and who they're not investing with. Well, me myself, I like to ask questions out loud. When you say something to me, I will I will prefer answer at that. Uh, when you say something to me and I uh, rebuttal, if it's in the form of a question, I would like that uh, that response right then. So that's just me and my personality. And like you said, uh, Brother Scotty, everybody's not going to be like that. But you can go to your HR and uh, and have these discussions. Have your list printed out of everything that's going on. Uh, Brother Scotty and Brother Max has done all of the work for all of us. So all you have to do is go into the archives, take a little time, and dig up the groups that are investing. They've already done that for us. You know, thank y'all, by the way. All right. And, and one more thing, Max. We got about 
uh, three minutes to the top of the hour and take our break. But one more thing, and you and I both um, were part of the Carolina's Human Rights Conference, which was held in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Was that this year or last year, Max? That was was, uh, last last year. Last year, yes. And while we were there to give a class on the power of media and everything that we do through Black Talk Media Project and how we've used uh, new media technology to, you know, just to share accurate information uh, with our audiences. We also had an opportunity to engage with people who are union representatives. So this, if you belong to a union, it is important to engage your union leaders on these divestment initiatives. I just wanted to add that, Max, because really when you look at it, the private prison slavery is is a direct competitor to the everyday working man and woman out here on the street. You're absolutely right, Scotty Reed. Uh, How can you compete with a company whose labor force doesn't get paid at all? That as a matter of fact, their state's Congress has to vote in order to pay them four cents an hour, four cents to make the same thing you're making outside or could make outside for $20 an hour or $15 an hour. So, yes, Scotty. And, you know, brother, I appreciate uh, your your uh, words and what you saying about what we have put out there. And you're right. All of the information is available. And every week we put together a list and I've lately been adding links to it so people can go directly to that information. All you got to do is look through the list that we provide every day. But there's also people who always fight against us, people who are always on the other side. Like I said earlier, all your skin folk ain't kin folk. There is no blanket description of any peoples. And nowadays you can't even count on groups because, you know, within the groups there's dissension. So it's all about the individual. But I'd like to play a video, Scotty. It's only two minutes and 22 seconds long. But it's the comments of a woman by the name of Julia Clarice Brown, who is a uh, woman of color, and she was an FBI informant who talked about Martin Luther King Jr. And you can hear the cognitive dissonance, the brainwashing, the indoctrination in every word that she says. So whenever you want to play that, Scotty, uh, on the, what we'll do is we'll take our break and play the video and then talk about it afterwards. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Today we break down and are going to continue to break down a little bit more. The Geo Group. We'll be right back. and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. There's one thing that bothers me, and that, uh, as a Negro yourself, why do you talk so bitterly against Martin Luther King and uh, a lot of these these other uh, people of your race? Well, let me tell you something. 
I don't put my race before I do my country. Uh, being a Negro woman doesn't matter to me who is a Negro or who is a white person. If they are enemies of our country, then they are certainly my enemies too. Well, I say it is frightening and it should be frightened uh, to the entire American people that he has demanded $10 billion. And if he doesn't get it, then there may be riots this summer. Martin Luther King is nothing but a blackmailer, and he should be arrested for blackmailing because he certainly has blackmailed the United States government. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. There you have it, Scotty. Have you heard her yet? Yes, I um, saw the video. I actually shared it on uh, our page on Black Talk yes, Radio Network. Yes, that's where I got it from. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I saw that. And I had never heard of her, and I appreciate whoever put that video together, but I had never heard of her, and I looked her up, and, you know, she has a book out and what have you, and I'm just telling you, just straight up lying on Dr. King. Dr. King ain't never threatened no riots if the United States did not pay what it pay its bill, which is reparations. And, you know, a lot of people misquote him when they, when he talks about integrating into a burning house, what he, what he was talking about. And I wrote a long article about it. Um, when, uh, his close friend and fellow activist, Harry Belafonte, uh, recently said the only thing left for black people to do is burn it down. What what Martin was talking about was that these people ain't never going to stop practicing injustice and oppressed people is going to burn it down. That's what he was saying. He was not threatening that he was going to tell people to burn it down. So, I mean, just a deception, but you, you're exactly right. You know, that, that woman is brainwashed and it's just a shame that we have so many people with that same mentality And, and actually she reminds me a lot of Candace Owens. And Dave, uh, what's his name? Uh, the president, I mean, the sheriff, uh, David Clark. David Clark. Sounds a lot like David Clark, too, don't she? With the vitriol and the venom for people who look just like her. 
Yeah. It's, so we have them everywhere. They've been through around us forever. That's why I said you can't really count on any group. You can't give any blanket protection out or a blanket statement that don't work. You just can't do that. It's all about the individual now. And this individual's name uh, is Julia Clarice Brown, and she was a COINTEL FBI informant, much like we have. Yes, today. she did infiltrate movements to to mm-hmm. to inform on activists. So uh, just disgusting, man. So brainwashing and cognitive dissonance and all these things get in the way. An example of cognitive dissonance would be something uh, a friend of mine recently sent me and asked me to support. And, you know, I'm critical and I'm the guy with the side eyes. Like I said, I'm quick to jump on it when I see people actually uh, contradicting the message that we carry. And if you're going to share it to me, please don't be contradicting the message because I will point that out right quick. So apparently there's this bill called H.R. 1242, the 115th Congress from 2017-2018, and it's about 400 years of African-American History Commission Act. And what they want to do, for instance, in Section 3 of the bill, is this bill, I'm quoting them verbatim now, this bill establishes the 400 years of African-American History Commission to develop and carry out activities throughout the United States to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the arrival of Africans in the English colonies at Point Comfort, Virginia in 1619. The commission must plan programs to acknowledge the impact that slavery and laws that enforced racial discrimination had on the United States, encourage civic, patriotic, historical, educational, artistic, religious, and economic organizations to organize and participate in anniversary activities, assist states, localities, and nonprofit organizations to further the commemoration and coordinate for the public scholarly research on the arrival of Africans in the United States and their contributions to this country. As I said earlier, the first thing that I saw up there is the words had and enforced with the D's at the end, which promoted the argument that slavery is gone, that it's done. This is what we had. This is how it was enforced, as if it's not happening right now. So uh, that's an example of the cognitive dissonance that I see people dealing with. And these are people that I know uh, are aware of modern-day slavery and human trafficking. I know they're aware of the 13th Amendment. And nonetheless, that conditioning slips out into their writing to turn what we've been talking about here now for the past almost seven years into something that happened before and is not going on now. Scotty? Yeah, cognitive dissonance. You know, I, I renamed July the 4th. I renamed that Cognitive Dissonance Day because uh, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. How can you celebrate uh, freedom in a country that's still practicing slavery and exporting that business model all over the planet? So um, I, I feel you, Max. I try to be patient, though, with people. But in t- but like you said, though, you're talking about people who should be informed, that you know are informed, but for because there's a little bit of grant money involved, they'll sign on to these things that discuss these human rights issues in the past tense to make you think it ain't happening no more and, and all that. I mean, even though 
uh, Dr. King and those who worked with him did get a federal law on the books outlawing discrimination. That's why people can take their employers to, to court today for racial discrimination, you know, depending upon the administration and who's the attorney general or even who's the president, whether or not that law is going to be enforced or whether or not they're actually going to repeal those laws as we're seeing right now with, you know, some of the affirmative action programs, which were meant as a form of reparation, a very weak form of reparation, but they're even repealing those now. Yeah, and they're criminalizing all sorts of protests. We've talked about that on air many times now, where they made it like literally you have more rights if you mow down protesters than you do if you're the victim of someone running over you. There are laws on the books to protect people who do that now. There's also laws on the books that will hold protesters liable for any property damage done. And it doesn't have to be real property damage. It could be what they're calling economic terrorism. They are literally looking at protesters as terrorists right now. Uh, One of the people who have said things like this out loud would be the father of the spokesperson, uh, the White House spokesperson, Sarah Sanders. Her father is uh, Huckabee. Uh, Mike Huckabee, former governor, and uh, they call this economic terrorism. So if you stop uh, traffic, if you protest in front of a building that is responsible for any offense or anywhere, you can be held liable for the losses. So they're trying to deter, take away any kind of First Amendment rights that we may possess on these issues. Yeah, those were- Another... Go ahead, Scotty. No, I was just going to say those rights have been under assault for a very long time. Now, one correction, Max, because I actually um, had come across this information. There there haven't been any laws uh, that have passed to protect people from running over people, protesters. You know, I think, who was it? I think it was NRA put out that video or was Alex Jones that was suggesting that motorists should run over uh, protesters and what have you and but there were a number of states Missouri, Florida comes to mind I was reading this article about the attempts to pass legislation that would protect them and what have you but I just saw some information though where this man hit a protester and was only charged with a misdemeanor so so I just wanted to uh, comment on that. But yeah, our, our, that's why it's a human rights issue. We have to go outside, you know, where it's warranted, where it's applicable. Yes, we should um, um, insist on a respect of, of constitutional rights, civil rights, and what have you. But it is very important, though, that we impress uh, impress upon Uh, exercising our human rights under international law because as as you just talked about you know um it's like they're going back to the Dred Scott decision where they say even though that's been overturned they still practicing where they saying you know a black person doesn't have any rights that a white person has to respect and so they're trying to return us back to those days Well, you are right, Scotty, to the best of my knowledge. As of uh, December of 2017, uh, there have been laws that have been submitted in bills 
in North Carolina, Florida, Tennessee, Texas, and North Dakota that would make it legal for drivers to hit protesters if the driver did not do so willfully. And that's according to Mick Bullock, a spokesman for the National Conference of State Legislators. And this is from an article on CNN. Uh, Also, Rhode Island has also uh, tried to put in the same type of language. But to the best of my knowledge, as you've said, none of them have passed yet as laws. But they're definitely trying. It's just a matter of time. Right. So, you know, everything that we're able to do to counter this system and its uh, perpetrators is being blocked or attempts to block it one way or another, even when it comes down to voting uh, with, you know, the 15th Amendment, 14th Amendment. uh, Those are being restricted as well in states like Alabama and North Carolina. North Carolina's voting system is so terrible and so corrupt that this whole state had got uh, denoted as no longer a democracy. You know, it just seems, though, that, and I've said this in the past, it may take a second Civil War. You know, Alex Jones was promoting this conspiracy theory, and, of course, it didn't come true that the Democratic Party was trying to start a second Civil War on July the 4th, uh, Cognitive Dissonance Day. And, I mean, this was actually trending on Twitter. Of course, that didn't happen. But when I see these sort of things that are being tried and if they actually get passed, they may leave us no other choice but to start another second, uh, a second civil war over the issue of slavery. I am very cognizant of that, Scotty, indeed. And I'm also fearful that that may be the results. But I retain some hope to try not to repeat history Uh, That cost the lives of over 600,000 people. And in today's number, that 600,000 would probably represent 6 million. And uh, that would be the type of blood loss that would occur within our own borders over uh, nothing more than oppression and legalized slavery, just like it was in the 1800s. I'm hopeful that we can avoid that. And I... uh, fervently search for ways uh, to educate people, to offer new options and new ways to get around that. Because history does repeat. But sometimes you don't want to repeat history and you have to find a way to uh, not. Scotty? Speaking of history, go ahead, Scotty. No, I was just going to say I I agree. War isn't pretty. Uh, There's always going to be casualties. But if 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 they if the enemy leaves you no other choice, then you know you don't have a choice, and it seems like they're trying to limit your choices. Well, people be- may believe that, and when the time comes, I will be one of them. But I have to decide for myself when that time has come, and then I would do something like a John Brown did, where he lost his sons for what he believed in. Uh, at the moment, I want my sons and daughters to remain alive, so I'm trying to find another way. Speaking of history, Scotty, there is something that is strange that is going on. Maybe you can help me understand it. Maybe one of our listeners can help me understand it. Those who listen to New Abolitionist Radio uh, know about the Convention of States. It's a uh, circumstance where uh, uh, multiple organizations, mainly uh, conservative, Republican, Tea Party members, and some billionaires are working to uh, enact an Article 5 Convention of States 
so far, uh, they have gotten, I believe it is 32 out of 34 states to sign on. So they're like two states away. Once they get 34 states uh, to sign on, they'll be able to open the Constitution for reinterpretation. You know that thing that the NAACP told me that they are not in support of at all? Well, these people right, are going right, to do that. Right. And they're only two states away from it. And everybody knows that, that there are no voices representing anybody from oppressed minority communities. They're just not there. So this is primarily a white racist supremacist and their darker allies uh, event where they're going to open up the Constitution and change it any way they want to. So we've been talking about that now for a couple of years. I've been on uh, a variety of high-profile uh, programs and spoke of it there as well. Recently, I saw that sink Unger of the Young Turks who just got $20 million donated to his uh, program has come out in uh, support of an Article 5 convention. Now, I know that Sank Unger represents what we would call the left. And the Convention of States is representative of what we would call the right. So what the hell is going on here with Mr. $20 million man? I'm very curious. Well, if anybody knows, let me know. Well, we said this before, Max, when we first started reporting on this. I think they only had like 12 states at the time when we first started reporting. And we said yes. this is going to happen. And so do we want to be uh, at the table and putting the 13th Amendment exception clause on that table? Do we want to have a voice in this process? Or do we want to stand on the outside with, standing with picket signs and our junk in our hands? Because that ain't worth a darn. Again, you know, there's a legislative process that these people go through to make everything legal. And whether you participate or not, you're going to be affected by it. So I have no problem with him saying that we should be a part of this. But my issue, though, and I left a comment on their channel on that video about you talking about Citizens United. You're talking about y'all talking about amending the Constitution to get money out of politics. Well, guess what? What about what about the 13th Amendment? What about abolishing slavery in this country? You know, and, and so, again, you know, cognitive dissonance. And you, you think it's just all about, yeah, money and politics is a problem. Private prison, you know, how, how many, how, almost a billion dollars they, they, you know, bet on Trump and what have you. And, you know, over the years through ALEC have been spending a lot of money to lobby these politicians to get this legislation uh, that results in, in slavery, uh, you know, mass enslavement or what have you. So we should. And I do recall. I recall it very clear in my mind when you reached out to the person at the NAACP and warned them that this was coming up and that we should have, or is your organization planning on trying to be a part of this? Because it's going to happen, as you predicted. And here we are just two states away. And, and the dude telling you, you know, that he wasn't interested. They weren't interested. It, it's just, man, it's just tragic, man. That, yeah, that, that was the director man. of communications who told me that. Man, I tell you, people, man, uh, um, we're living in some very volatile times. It's like a worst case scenario, Scotty, 
for anything short of a civil war and literally could be the catalyst for a civil war. A runaway convention is a real good catalyst for a civil war. But in any case, the worst case scenario is to have these group of racist white supremacists suddenly be in charge of what's in the Constitution and what's not. Uh, we've heard re here before where several of them had said things like, we want to take everything out from the 11th Amendment up. They don't want the 13th Amendment, they don't want the 14th Amendment, and they don't want the 15th Amendment. So this is very dangerous. It's like uh, what happened when Hitler came into power. And, you know, I'm one of the last guys to want to use these uh, Nazi uh, euphemisms or, or comparisons, but it, it literally is at that point right now where these uh, fascists are about to take complete control of the entire country. And they're going to put their ideals into the Constitution of the U.S. of A. Well, uh, um, in reference to Jink Uger, you know, it might be too little too late to be talking about it now. I hope it's not. And, you know, if it if it comes down to it, you know, we shouldn't be asking. We should just kick in the door and bust up in there and be like, no, this ain't going down without us being represented. And when I say oh, us, a good idea. when I say us, I'm talking about the oppressed people of this nation. I think that's a good idea, Scotty, because it doesn't look like anybody within uh, the minority representation group are interested in this event, are interested in the circumstances, or maybe they just don't know or don't care or don't think that uh, these folks will go so far as to open up a convention of states. You couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> it's, it's happening, and it's just a matter of time. Scotty mentioned it, just a couple states away. We've been watching this now since it began, or at least since the movement really amped up back in 2015. So we've been paying a lot of attention to it, and we'll continue to pay attention to it. And when we see that this thing is going down, that they have reached the required minimum number of states to open up the Constitution for reinterpretation, if there are no representations for minorities within that group, we will come down there and be the reputation, the representations our damn selves. We'll come 2,000 strong, 20,000 strong, maybe 2 million strong. You never know. This is a very serious matter, and I hope people take it serious, man absolutely very serious matter uh worst case scenario you know i i try you know i'm a poet scotty i try not to use certain terms and words uh frivolously so when i say worst case scenario that literally what i what i mean they could legalize slavery they could be like you know what Let's i mean do it like, is uh, it is legal I, already but i mean they could just be even more could, blatant about it though right be blatant about it you know what i mean we've already heard the sentiments from uh, the radio talk show host Jan Mickelson yeah, where they want to enslave these immigrants. So they could make something like that law. These are the people that's involved in it. Jan Mickelson is one of the people involved in the Convention of States. And that's the concern that I have right there. <laughs> you know, example A. It's just terrible. But so I do agree look it up with for your yourself assessment. if you're listening. It's Conventions of States. Uh, and you can find all the information you want about it. And if you add my name to the Google search, you'll see where I've talked about it before on uh, a variety of formats. 
Right, and I do agree, though. That could be the catalyst to another civil war, man. Or, I don't know, maybe people just willing to lay down and, and, and let these people run roughshod. I don't know. I can't call it, Max. It's uh, sad, man, because it's possibility. Like, we, we, we've gotten so used to things. Like, the worst crimes you can imagine are, are daily bread to the point where we just don't give a damn anymore. I mean, what could be worse is the idea we have in our head. Are you already doing this, that, and three other things? Or as many people who downplay a lot of these issues like to say, I'm not surprised, and then keep on going with your day. So it's it's going to be rough, Scotty, and um, we are going to be here witnessing through it all. We got about five minutes to our last break. Uh do want to remind Black Talk Radio listeners, we got Mind, Body, and Spirit closing out tonight at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time with a live broadcast. Make sure you check them out. Uh, but, Max, we got a caller, uh, unknown caller, has unmuted themselves. Thank you for calling in and watching your background noise. That's very important. But uh, go ahead with your name and your question or comment. Unknown caller. Mr. Reed, may I speak with you directly? Is it about anything that we're discussing uh, about yes, this sir. program? And what would that be? Okay. One of the, the, I can't remember the gentleman's name that was on the phone. His name is Jenna. Right. So, Jenna, one of the things that he brought up that is very, very important is you know, there, there are programs and there are things in effect as far as like the EEOC are concerned and everything else to where you can shut down certain things. I've done it before. Johnny Cochran has been one of my lawyers. His firm is one of my lawyers right now as far as racial discrimination is concerned and everything else. In terms of, you know, the modern day slavery thing one thing that I did want to mention because you and I had a conversation before and I got 22 arrests on my jacket but I still have succeeded along with others in doing over 200,000 a year and I, I think it may not be a bad idea for us to give some of our people of color the idea of when you get out of prison there are ways to do something other than going back to what you know such as like getting your CDL you know where you can do 100, 150 200,000 dollars a year we do have other ways brother Thank you for your comments. Is that it? Yes, sir. All right. I'm just going to mute myself and just listen. All right. Thank you. Um, I do agree that there are programs out there. There are things in, in the old saying where there's a will, there's a way. But at the same time, though, Every individual isn't equipped with the same tools. They don't have the same support system. They don't may not have the mental faculties to do these different things. But as we were speaking earlier 
about our interactions at the uh, Carolina's Human Rights Conference with the trade unionist uh, representatives that were there is that this is prison slavery is encroaching upon those very jobs that, that you know, we would want to uh, possibly get into. So I don't put the onus on the individual. We're dealing with a system that systematically disenfranchises people. And while an individual may be able to escape recidivism and what have you, that is not the case for everybody. And, And my thing is, is that we shouldn't have to be dealing with it in the first place. I'm not talking about murderers. I'm not talking about rapists. I'm not talking about robbers. But the vast majority of the people who are in a prison or a jail are in there for nonviolent, victimless crimes where there was no victim other than the so-called state, okay? They shouldn't have even been put in prison and put in that position in the first place. And, you know, they're, with this current administration, and it didn't start with this administration. It, it, it started decades ago with the stripping away of the social safety net and what have you. And desperate people do desperate things, and and that's just the way it is. And there's going to be a lot more desperate people when we don't invest in education, when we don't invest in jobs programs, and, you know, we don't invest in those things, in job creation, because they know that they can make money off of you putting you in a cell. So I'm not discounting what you're saying, but I also just want to recognize that this is a system that has been ongoing on this continent for 400 years, and it's been time to end it. Max, uh, we're right at our break, Max. All right, so uh, we'll take the break, Scotty, and when we come back, I'll squeeze in the uh, couple of stories, and then we'll do our final segments. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network And we are talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. We'll be right back. Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Hey, Scotty, I don't know if I ever told you, man, but I am proud to have been here for nearly seven of those 10 years you're celebrating on Black Talk Radio Network, man. I, I've been a proud uh, member here, and I, I have no issue at all with everything that we're about. Yeah, come our actually our 10th uh, anniversary will be in November. Awesome. 10 years, man. You can start giving out awards. You've been around a decade, man. You, 
we can start recognizing some of these people out here and doing I, the right I thing. You know next, what I mean? But I, I can't say that without recognizing the people who made it possible. There's a very, very small group of people who donate. We are a nonprofit Black Talk Media Project, which manages Black Talk Radio Network. And, you know, I made a conscious decision not to seek certain types of grants from certain types of foundations and whatnot because I don't want to become dependent on that and then get used to paying myself a salary, which I don't pay myself a salary because we don't have that kind of money coming in. But then I get addicted to that and then I'm then I become compromised. Oh, we don't think we think you should move in a reform direction and what have you and, and all of that. So, you know, it's been a struggle these 10 years but we're still here and that's thanks to those who have given their financial energy to the black talk media project over those 10 years indeed man uh appreciate all the support particularly that we've gotten here on new abolitionist radio uh, and i'm also very aware and uh in awe of the i guess you could say the indirect effects that have occurred because of the message that we carry here on this program of freedom. So indeed, here's a couple of stories I wanna get out there as quick as I can and uh, then get into our final segments. The first one was sent to me by another friend and it's about California. And the title says uh, from the appeal.org, California County Law Enforcement puts kids on probation for bad grades. Talk about a school to prison pipeline. They say, according to the lawsuit, approximately 400 kids and teenagers in 17 school districts in Riverside County are funneled into the program for pre-delinquent or delinquent conduct each year. Labels assigned by the schools, administrators, law enforcement officials, community members, and some parents for school discipline problems, mental health issues, poor academics, and family conflicts. One sixth grader was allegedly referred in part because school staff complained that he had used a race card against them. A sixth grader got sent, put on probation because he used a race card against these adults who were so afraid of what a sixth grader thought. Um, that's the one story. So you can read that in its uh, entirety at New Abolitionist Radio. The other story is, uh, it's a little bit old, but relevant. And it's where uh, Sean King exposes the truth about Thomas Jefferson, as we've done here before. In one quote, he talks about the 600 human beings forced into slavery by Thomas Jefferson were forced to be there from birth until death, many never even leaving the confines of the land that entire time. Over 400 human beings that were immediately forced into slavery were born at Monticello. Many there long enough to see generations of their family forced into slavery. Jefferson's nail factory was exclusively staffed by enslaved children. Their living conditions were deplorable. Over the course of Jefferson's life, he sold, sold at least 175 men, women, and children to other owners, ripping apart families and loved ones. Sally Hemings was just 14 years old when Thomas Jefferson began using her for sex. Hemings was just 16 years old when she had her first child by her rapist and slaver owner. You can read the entirety of Thomas Jefferson's history, his hypocritical history with slavery and human trafficking at New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, uh, um, Max, um, again, that's yes, cognitive dissonance 
that these people are celebrated. And I, I, I always get at Alex Jones when he be talking about the founding fathers. You mean the founding slavers, these evil human beings? And, you know, how can you celebrate somebody like that who built their entire fortune, who, who their entire notoriety is based on enslaving human beings? You know, and last night on um, on um, the program that Jenna hosts, man, it's the name of the program's escaping me right now. They have this foundational radio, uh, real life radio, and they were talking, and we were talking about vacations, and that's one of those vacation spots that I don't know why people would want to spend money to go tour Mon- uh, Jefferson's Monticello plantation and then they're adding a new you know, and they probably have already added Sally Hemmings quarters and what have you and that's an attraction and, and what have you why would you go spend money on something like that why I, I just don't understand it but check out that program it's in our it's in a, a, their archives on the black talk radio network that's real life radio just the cognitive dissonance involved in people who celebrate men like this and even spend money to go visit their plantations. It really falls down to a lack of actual real education on these people. There has been this whitewash throughout history to sell these men uh, who were involved in human trafficking and slaves, slavery as heroes and founding fathers and people who we should look up to. And it may be true that at some points in their lives they did historic great things for good causes but that didn't stop them from being slavers because a slaver can hug his wife kiss his children go to work donate to the poor and still own human beings and still be an evil ass slaver all right well the last story i want to get in scotty came from uh, our family out in the alabama uh prisons and it's about these sheriffs there who were getting Uh, taking money from the jail food funds. And, you know, we gave that quite a bit of exposure. And after that, uh, some things have been changed, but overall, it's still going on. I'll read some of the article to you. It says, after criticisms that Alabama sheriffs profited large sums of money by skimping on jailhouse meals, Governor Kay Ivey said Tuesday that the state will no longer give any jail food funds to sheriffs personally. So, see, prior to that, they were literally giving the sheriffs a dollar seventy-five a day to feed and house adult people per person. Any money, huh? Per person, yes, a dollar seventy-five yeah, per, person. per person per day. And any money that wasn't uh, uh, used, the sheriffs were allowed to keep personally. So, I mean, it got so bad, Scotty. At one time, a federal judge in two thousand nine held Morgan County Sheriff Greg Bartlett who made $212,000 in three years off the excess food funds in contempt of court for failing to feed inmates properly. Etowah County Sheriff Todd Entrican, who lost re-election, released tax forms showing he made a profit of $672,392 from the jail kitchen in 2015 and 2016. Oh, my God, man. Max, I mean... The sheriff... How, how can Scott, you how can you feed 
You can't even feed a child on a dollar seventy-five a day. Not to mention, you know, in the context of this story, that they weren't even providing that because the sheriff was allowed uh, by law to pocket so-called excess money. So you you tell me where I can go, <laughs> where I can go and spend, let's say, what, uh, $60 a month on some groceries and be able to feed myself and have three square meals a day? Come on, $1.75 a day? Come on, Max. What what was they feeding them, you know? Sawdust? And it was all legal. <laughs> Man. It was all legal, Scotty. You know, we've had a lot of Alabama politicians and potential politicians here on New Abolitionist Radio over the years. And a lot of these messages apparently got up to Governor Kay I. But I think that is uh, just ridiculous, man. How is it even possible? The sheriff is making, what, 10 times his salary in the course of two, uh, not even three years. From 2015 and 2016, he made $700,000. Now, if, if, that, if that isn't an incentive for him to tell his deputy slave catchers to go out and round up some people, I don't know what is. Exactly. And the last thing I want to get out there is that there are people calling within political circles for the death of Maxine Waters. A prosecutor recently just put out a tweet about how uh, that C word is in the hood and she should have been shot by now. And he called her a B word, C and a B word, and said she should have been shot by now. That was a California prosecutor calling for the death of an elected official who is a black woman. Now, I don't agree with uh, a lot of that the things that Maxine Waters has said or done, but she is still one of us. <laughs> she is still a person of color who has had the courage to stand up and talk back to these white supremacists, and because of that, they have put a literal hit out on her. We was talking before about the Convention of States being a potential catalyst for a civil war. You shoot or hurt Maxine Waters and watch what happens. Yeah, um, he's under investigation right now. He uh, has been suspended, but, you know, the district attorney whom he works for has offered up excuses for him, saying it's first, his First Amendment right and what have you. But I guess, you know, other members of that office put enough pressure on him that he's been, and I'm sure outside pressure as well, um, he's been suspended and is under investigation. And, uh, he's he's known for making very racist, inflammatory comments. Um, you know, again, like you said, you know, I don't know a lot about Maxine Waters because she's a California representative and what have you. So I only know what makes the news and what have you as far in terms of what she's doing for her constituents. There, I don't I don't know a whole lot about that, but I do know that. I do know that this is this isn't a threat against all of us. This is a, a, a threat against all of us, and she's absolutely right to um, address a concern of part of her constituency. She's in California, man, and she just on the basis of human rights, she is right in what she's saying, and also, you know, her calling on members of the Trump administration to be confronted over these policies. I mean, 
hell, if you don't want to be confronted over policies that you're helping to implement or sell to the public or whatever your capacity is in the administration, then get out of politics then, okay? Because that's part of your job is to get feedback from the public and, and what have you. But, I mean, he just went overboard, man, and calling. And like I said, though, now he's described as a gang prosecutor, you know, going after quote unquote Hispanic gangs and whatnot. And I said, hell, I can't believe that they ain't put a hit out on him. So they must not be as violent as Donald Trump makes them out to be. So, you know, that's my response to him is I can't believe you still breathing. Amen to that. Well, Scotty, look, the way I'm looking at it like this is, uh, like you just said, if it can happen to her, it can happen to any one of us, man. And I'm very much sensitive to this. I'm triggered by it, actually, because, see, I lived in the town of Eastover. And one day, I'm watching, you know, Fox News, and I hear the president, and I hear Ann Coulter talk about these uh, people who are Mexicans and uh, are rapists, and they're going to take your jobs, and uh, all of these terrible things about them. And then about a week later, a guy who lived a mile from me got up, drove to Charleston, South Carolina, where I had been working as an activist for 15 years and shot nine innocent people in a church and quoted those demons while he killed them, quoted them. So I'm very sensitive. And I understand that when they make these statements, they're not just making personal statements. They're giving marching orders. And somebody exactly. will follow up on those marching orders. Right, right. And Donald Trump has really been, you know, they call it dog whistles, but he's been so blatant yeah. with it that I wouldn't even call it a coded message. That That's just how blatant. blatant. That's blatant. That's, that's how we deal with these dissidents. <laughs> that's how we deal with them. That's what they're thinking. We deal with them like this. We kill them. Because dead men don't say nothing. Dead women don't say nothing. And that's how little they care about life. You know, uh, it's just terrible, Scotty. And I'm just so sick of it. Like I said, it triggers me when I hear these people give out these call whistles because the murders happened in my community. All right, Scotty, let's get into our, our final uh, segments for the evening. The first one will be a writer of the 21st century, Underground Railroad. Up. And today that will be Roshan Hargrave. I got the it man pulled up, Max. And you got the abolitionist? Um, Perfect. No, I was going to let you handle the abolitionist and profile, not get the writer. Okay, go ahead and uh, take care of that, and I'll pull up the abolitionist. All right, and this comes to you from the New York Post. Uh, it was written by R. Umar Abbasi and Leah Estujuvich, something like that. Uh, but anyway... Man put in jail for 24 years by disgraced detective walks free. And this was published May of 2018. So he just got out. And we've been reporting on Louis Scarcella for years now. A man who was put away for 24 years by shady ex-NYPD detective 
Louis Garcella stepped out of a courtroom Monday, a free man, after the Brooklyn DA's office announced it wouldn't retry him for the decades-old murder. Roshan Hargrave, 44, heaved with emotion and burst into sobs in Brooklyn Supreme Court, where he learned he was at long last cleared of murdering off-duty corrections officer Rolando Nesher in 1991. It's been 27 years, Hargrave said, outside the courtroom. There were times I saw death. That is how badly correction officers beat me for a crime I did not commit. Hargrave was just 17 years old when he and co-defendant John Bunn, who was 14, were found guilty of Nesher's death. Fingerprints found at the scene didn't match either team. And the lone witness gave conflicting descriptions of the suspect, saying they were light-skinned and in their 20s. Both Hargrave and Bunn are dark-skinned. In 2015, Brooklyn Supreme Court Justice uh, Shandia Simpson vacated Hargrave's conviction and granted him a new trial, saying he was convicted based solely on identification of evidence brought by Scarcella, then a star detective in his partner. He was released from prison after serving more than two decades behind bars. The revelation of Detective Scarcella's malfeasance and fabricating false identification evidence gravely undermines the evidence that convicted the defendant in this case, Simpson wrote in her decision. The DA's office appealed in a dark cloud hung over Hargrave for the next two and a half years as prosecutors challenged Simpson's ruling. But last month, a panel of appellate judges unanimously affirmed Simpson's decision. The DA's office decided not to retry him. It's been a long time coming, Simpson told Hargrave Monday as his girlfriend and cousin sat in the courtroom. Asked what he'll do now that he's been cleared, Hargrave simply said, I will breathe. And New Abolitionist Radio welcomes Roshan Hargrave to freedom. Welcome to freedom, brother. Indeed. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is John Quincy Adams, born July 11th, 1767, till February 23rd, 1848. He was the president and abolitionist and the Amistad Council. The right of every person to be free is both fundamental and universal. Former U.S. President John Quincy Adams understood this. He knew slavery was immoral and fought throughout his career to advance universal freedom. His advocacy helped, by the ground, helped lay the groundwork for the abolitionist movement. Though he was president from 1825 to 1829, John Quincy Adams became known for his passionate anti-slavery advocacy in Congress. It was his 18-year effort that did away with the gag rule, which automatically nullified anti-slavery legislation. Amid his campaigns to end slavery, he also petitioned Congress to provide land for displaced Native Americans. In the 1841 Supreme Court case, United States versus the Amistad, John Quincy Adams represented the Africans charged for their rebellion in the Spanish ship, La Amistad. Around 50 Africans had been kidnapped and transported from Africa to Cuba, where two Spaniards took over and intended to sell them into slavery in America. During the journey, they broke free and killed several crew members, took over the ship, and demanded to sail back to Africa. Instead, the crew took them to New England, where they were jailed. John Quincy Adams argued before the Supreme Court that their rebellion was justified. The kidnapped men had the right to fight for their freedom. 
just as Americans had the right to fight for theirs, because every person has the right to be free. The Supreme Court agreed, and Adams won the case, providing a landmark legal precedent in advancement of universal rights. The United States should uphold John Quincy Adams' legacy by ensuring that slavery is eradicated in this country and abroad. Adams said he must bring about a day, prophesize, when slavery and war shall be banished from the face of the earth, disrupting the business of human trafficking through U.S. influence and resources, promoting proper business practices, and increasing prosecutions may help make that dream a reality. And a quote from John Quincy Adams is, roll years of promise rapidly roll around till not a slave shall on this earth be found and we here at new abolitionist radio say salute you john quincy adams salute and i want to thank you for that information because i did not know that i knew that he had represented the victims of slavery on the amistad but i did not know of the things that you just shared with us that that he did legislatively and fought in court for the right of persons to be free. So salute. He he was a gradualist in every sense of the word. He saw this as something that might take generations to solve and uh, took steps one at a time in order to bring those achievements about. So indeed, salute. There are different types of ways of fighting this. So, Scotty, that wraps it up for all of our segments. Uh, We'll close out the program tonight with any final comments. Yeah, I just want to impress upon people that this issue that we're seeing right now with all of these refugees, again, who are fleeing destabilized, violent regions that were uh, call, got that way because of United States foreign policy is connected to what oppressed people here in the United States are going through. There is um, the um, intersectionality of their enslavement to our enslavement because these very same groups like the GO group will take the money they making off of Cajun these refugees and poured into the pockets, campaign coffers of politicians who will then work on increasing even more Americans going into slavery. So the intersectionality is is a very real thing and this fight is global. And we need need abolitionists planet-wide to step up and join this fight. Amen, Scotty. Uh, was that your final comments then? Yes, sir. All right, uh, I'll keep mine brief. I, I want to give you some homework. Unless someone points it out for you, there is only one way to know when your constitutional rights are being violated. That's because you read them and you know them. It's very important. People have died for the Constitution of the U.S., uh, United States of America. It's the thing when we say we're a nation of laws that we're talking about the Constitution. And if you don't know your rights, you're the one with a freaking problem because anybody can violate them. So I am giving you some homework today. I want you to go and read all of the amendments at least once. And, you know, if you want to copy and paste and print out some of them so you can carry around in your pocket so you know what your rights are, then do so. Because if you don't know, somebody's screwing you over. 
If you don't know somebody's robbing you, if you don't know somebody is abusing and oppressing you simply because you don't know your rights, then I repeat, you're the problem. Learn your rights. And remember this, abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing.